Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's exactly what we do, Danny. And, and we did this week is this no week. exception. That's right. Now, Danny, when you were a kid, yep. what did you watch on TV? Were you a Nickelodeon guy? I know you're a Disney adult, but were you a Nickelodeon kid? Nickelodeon, yes. Yeah. Snick. Snick. Yep. Okay. All that. All that. This is all that. Yeah, I know the theme song. Yeah, um, yeah there were some shows that it seemed like they, they, there weren't a lot of episodes of some of these. Like, Salute Your Shorts was a favorite of mine. Oh, of course. But I feel yeah. like they only had like three episodes that they would just put on repeat. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> no, I feel like there were a bunch of episodes. I don't know. Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's more Snick level for yeah, you. Yeah, I was not into Are You Afraid of the Dark. Too scary for me as a kid. You know what? It was pretty scary for it me, It was some too. spooky stuff, man. Yeah, it is spooky stuff. It was um, delicate flower. Yeah, Here's the throwback. Hey, dude. Hey, Loved hey, dude. dude. Danny. I mean, one of the characters had my name. Arguably the oh, best yeah? character. Yeah. Um, I was, we talk about it in this interview, but I was a big sports center kid. But the other thing I watched before school was Rugrats. Yeah. And I watched remember... Rugrats and Doug, of course. Yes. Now, what was that last one? Doug. Well, what a perfect segue <laughs> for this week's episode. A riveting conversation with Doug Saltis of I Eat Well right into that one. You That's sure right. did. Completely blindsided. Yeah. You know, Tim and I were talking before we started recording a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a point at which Tim tells a joke, which you'll have to listen. And, uh, you know, if you it, can identify my joke that falls <laughs> flat on its face. Yeah. No, and the, the equivalent for me, I, not only do I also have jokes that fall flat constantly, <laughs> um, but when I get quizzed on a cocktail on the spot, and like, I would say most of the time I know, I know what a, a classic recipe is, but there's like certain newer classics that I just like mix up or they kind of became popular after I stopped being behind the bar as much. And it's like so infuriating when it gets brought up. I did put Danny directly on the spot. <laughs> so, I set him up with his nose centered in the bullseye. <laughs> so then I spent like the next three minutes just reliving it. Yeah. As we were recording. Did you Google it? No, I didn't. Go I, uh, he was right. I mean, I, oh, yeah, he knew the bill yeah, perfectly. Exactly. I should just let him say it. Yeah. Um, um, but this you week's know. guest has a, a long career a New York kid who had really no formal training just got into the kitchen and learned from there and awesome. uh, took him all over the world. Yeah. A really hard worker. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, Tim kind of maybe nailed it earlier when we were talking about this. Kind of like a, a prodigy level, maybe something savant-like, able to like pick up techniques and things without, yeah, like a formal structure. Yeah. I think he touched on it after we stopped recording on his way out. He was talking about um, nostalgia and how that has played a big role in... Um, you know, kind of chasing flavor profiles and recreating things that he remembers from his youth. Yeah, he seems to have yeah, maybe a special, like a dialed-in sense memory. Yeah, I wish I had that. I wish I had any sense. You do, you do. <laughs> anyway, so please enjoy this conversation with Doug Saltis. Welcome to the studio, Doug. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> Great to be in the carriage house. Here. I just try yeah. to uh, bring the energy, you know? Yeah. No, you got to come out of the bat hot. That's like right. Off Coming the out bat, hot. Yeah, out of the gate, know. off the bat. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I was doing some research, Doug, and you have a pretty, uh, pretty special pedigree, very interesting history. Yeah. Um, we also realized that you wrote a memoir in 2005, and we're like, 
Well, that was almost 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. is, is there a part two coming out? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm still I'm still working on the story. <laughs> but no, uh, geez, I've, I've had a chance to do a bunch of stuff. And when I look back at this 2025, it's kind of like crazy because at that part, I, I always, I, you know, when I talk to people now, I'm like, you know, as I get started and what I'm doing, they're like, what do you mean get started? I'm like, I always feel like we, we just hit a new plateaus and start and kind of shape who we're going to be. Yeah, different uh, You know, reflecting on the book, I believe life's like so many chapters. Yeah, for so, sure. So, you know, my early chapters were in New York, just like kind of working with like the best kitchens, the best chefs. Yeah, so but you're from Long Island, right? Yeah, from Huntington, Long Island. And... uh Cooking growing up, were you learning? Were you so working with your parents, I did. grandma? So my grandfather had a diner in Queens, uh, Greek immigrant. Uh, him and his him and his brother had a couple diners, Jersey City, Queens. Uh, Jamaica, Queens was the last one on Northern Boulevard. I grew up kind of being around there, inside and out of it. All I ever did, bagel shops, pizza places. I was athletic, or maybe it wasn't athletic, I was an athlete, right? Not athletic. <laughs> uh, but it was the 90s, so everybody yeah. everybody got a chance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was playing lacrosse Long Island. I got a scholarship to college, went to Ohio State for a little oh, that's bit. That's cool. Um, realized I, I, Columbus, Ohio is not exactly where I was destined to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, geez, it rains every day. Here. Ohio State lacrosse, though. I mean, you're, you were athletic. Uh, yeah, maybe, right? <laughs> so did that for a little bit. Um, came back home. After the first trimester, me and my other friend from Long Island were like, dude, we're going out there. We're like, we're coming home. Mm-hmm. Came home. I, my mom started crying, you know, because it was, a, you know, my grandfather and grandmother's business of the diner. And my yeah. grandmother made pies for all the other diners around Long Island and, you know, Queens and stuff like that. So it wasn't exactly like that glamorous of a lifestyle at that point. It's like now it's like 93. Right? And they did not want you to follow in their footsteps. No, no, because there was no in, the, in their mind, there was no visual of like chef. Yeah, like right. time. Yeah, what they we were not going to you know, four star restaurants or traveling to Paris. We were, we were, my dad was a used car salesman. There was four kids. We we lived a modest lifestyle. So like being a cook, my mom was like, "Geez, my yeah. dad's like, I got you a pamphlet from uh, the police academy. Maybe you'd like to do that instead." I was like, "I don't think I don't think that's my path." <laughs> I'm, I'm like, "I don't think I'll be that good at that job." <laughs> I think it's pretty common though, first year of college, to be like, mm, "I don't know if this is for me." Did you go through that? I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had, uh, the hardest time I had was like, I went to school in Richmond, Virginia and, uh, we had like some kind of fall break. So I went back home to LA and then as soon as I got back to Richmond from that fall break, I felt like it was a little tough. I felt pretty significantly homesick. Um, yeah. so yeah, but that was like the kind of the growing pain of it. Yeah, I, I, pro- I probably hit right in there a little bit, you know, finally came home. You know, I got in there, I was kind of like practicing with the football team, yeah. playing a little bit like fall fall sport. So I was just like running, 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 didn't really love where I was, didn't really get to meet people because I was just, I was in all this athletic stuff too. And then went home and I was like, what am I doing in Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, that's yeah, kind of how I Busting my ass on the yeah. field. Yeah, and, and also, you know, I, I don't love the way we set people up. Like, what do you want to be? You're 10 years old. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm I sure. agree. So and I like, were talking about this recently. Like, yeah. like once you get to college, then you come home and like your parents' friends are like, so what's your major? It's like, I don't, I have no idea. I have, yeah. I've taken four classes. What are you talking <laughs> about? And, and you're electing them on like when they're scheduled. Like that's a yeah. 7 a.m. class. Like I'm not doing that. Yeah. 100%. I yeah. didn't schedule. If a class was on Friday, no thanks. Yeah. I was, so, I was not taking You know, and it, it's interesting, you know, the... The BOCI schools were, like, so frowned upon. The trade schools are so frowned upon. Yeah. I'm like, it should be mandatory. For sure. <laughs> like, and then go to college. But you know, I know not everybody will make as much money that way. But yeah. it's like, don't 
go spend now a hundred grand a year. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And you're like, I just want to do liberal arts. You're like, for a hundred grand a year? Yeah. If I went back to school now, I'd probably go to culinary school. That's what I'm most interested well, in. Well, it's interesting. I hmm. started cooking because I thought sooner or later I can end up in a college town and I learned about non-matriculating classes. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's cool. They're free. You yeah. don't take tests, but you get a chance to learn. I was like, that's that's really awesome. Because I thought that would be like amazing for me one day. And, you know, my girlfriend was at some college far away. So I was like, I could just cook at a diner there and yeah. take like one mythology class. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I, I thought that was like my goal. I was like, you know, I want to just be able to cook so I can get a job anywhere around the world and go to some university and take a class that I'm interested in and kind of like enjoy life. Yeah. I didn't have like a, this master plan of like, you know, it takes all this stuff and yeah, and then just being a competitive person, being inside kitchens, it was always it was so easy to to kind of game it, right? You yeah, know? it seemed like yeah. you, yeah, it seemed like that competitive side of you started to show when you started staging in kitchens in New York City. Yeah, you know, I didn't have a, an entrance into these restaurants, right? I didn't really speak the language. I didn't come from the Culinary Institute. I didn't have a culinary degree. I didn't really know anything. I was like some kid jumping off a train, like knocking on doors, messing up the chef's name. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, well, I'm like, just let me work next to some people, please. Yeah. Because I've been working my whole my whole life. Well, yeah, was so your first break. Were you working in the diners as a kid? Yeah, we in the diners as a kid and, okay. and bagel shops, like yeah. pizza shops. And I mean, from the point of like cleaning up, right? Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd go there like after they've done the bake and like try them off the floors. I remember being like so exhausted. I mean, <laughs> I remember knocking over the, the mop bucket at the end of mopping the floors like by myself <laughs> you know they oh. all go home because it's like you know a friday and it's yeah. like or saturday and the next day they're gonna come back in like 3 a.m and it's like the summer's on long island and i like knock over the mop bucket and i'm just like oh my god I'm like, i don't know if I, <laughs> I i can't really lift this myself <laughs> you know they're dragging the mop head around wow. how old were you when you first started working in the diners just as a kid helping out you know i was more or less the uh Less than working, you know, I just got, you know, hanging out with my grandfather was, it was like 10 years old. Yeah. Hanging out with my grandfather was everything. You know, we do a little like dinners there on Sundays at the end of the day. And our aunt worked in the front of the house and all the, yeah. you know, so it was, it was a typical, typical Queens diner. So it was just kind of chilling with him. Uh, that was, that was the whole deal for me, seeing how life was. And, and I loved every part of it. Yeah. And then, you know, fasting forward. Yeah. Fast forwarding, I guess, not fasting forward. No, fasting forward. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we just passed yeah. that, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, exactly. uh, fast, fast forward, you know, I was just uh, always looking to learn more, always looking to learn more. And, uh, you know, I, I was working at this kind of corporate cafeteria inside a, a trade school. And there was this old-timer guy, this guy, John Chazaria. He worked with all the pork stores up in uh, in the Bronx. And he would always, he, he taught me so many things, you know, like, you know, old school stuff, like, you know, let's have this cup of coffee. And he's like, you see the clock, you know, clock kept moving. You didn't, you know, it's time to do something, you know. Yeah. You want to go to culinary school? He's like, what are you talking about? Let's work, you know, like, because I was like, no, I'm going to culinary school. It's only 35 grand a year. He said, what are you talking about? Just work, yeah. you know. So he, he kind of taught me that and he kind of stayed on that and then pushed me to do more. He's like, great, where are you guys working in the fall? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're not staying here in the fall. <laughs> you're going to go get a job. So I went to like this next, like, uh, Glen Clove, um, Glen Clove like conference center and it's one of the old Gold Coast mansions that's a retreat for businesses from from the city because it's like 20 minutes from New York City mm -hmm. so they would host like JP Morgan or something like that they'd all go there like 60 people retreat for like two days and I worked there and there's a young chef there this uh, this young lady and she was amazing and her and her husband would be like I'll come back to our house we have all these books and I was like wow it's pretty cool you know like 
I remember going to Barnes and Noble and cookbooks were like starting to populate and you know this is like Charlie Trotter's just releasing his book so it's like mm. whoa this is crazy because right? before it's like text right a textbook so I got that little niche and I saw that and then I was working in a restaurant uh, on Long Island again this one Panama Hatties that was like it's really high end uh, for Long Island it was one of the best ones and me and my uh, buddy Americo Mantegi who I'm still talk to once a week, we're sitting in the, in the dry stores going through Zagat's, calling. Yeah. We need cooks, you need cooks, you need cooks, you need cooks, you need cooks. Just just calling. Got one lead, one stash somewhere, go somewhere, and just go from one stash to the next stash. So my two days off, I would spend in the city. You know, just just doing that all the time. And um, got a couple good breaks. I got into the, I think the first one was March Restaurant. Oh, Boule, Union Pacific just opened, Rocco Spirito, and that was, like, incredible. Um, David Boule, original Boule, I had a chance to work there before it closed, which was, like, you know, greatest American chef ever. Um, and then March Restaurant, I had a chance to work with this uh, chef, Wayne Nish. And March Restaurant is a disciple of the Quilted Giraffe. The Quilted Giraffe was the 1980s Gordon Gecko <laughs> townhouse restaurant. Yeah. Like, Wagyu, Beggar's Purses, you know opulence in the 80s right and the quilt and the the second coming of that that was by barry wine he created the beggar's purses and so many things and he's an amazing like jewelry guy now <laughs> and the second coming was march restaurant and it was this really avant-garde continental cuisine mm. right the menu read from top to bottom like like 20 dishes and if you ordered three dishes you can get like Dish 18, 19, and 20 is your app entree, app middle course entree, right? Mm. However, you built it. And the food was like wild all over the place. It was, you know, lobster poached in coconut, hamachi with white soy and, and olive oil, you know, wagyu. And, you know, he's bringing home doves from South America he just mm-hmm. got. And there's an elk saddle on the walk in. And, you know, it's like craziness. You know, stuff. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, I'm learning like And I'm, and part of, the, part of his thing was like, we go to the spice markets in New York City. We take a field trip to Chinatown and teach you how to go through those markets. So I'm like learning through that. And, you know, New York, I'm so fortunate to place in time, right? I yeah. could drive down the scenes and be like, Spice Market, stop the car. I'm going in there. And yeah. just like thumb through there. And back then, yeah, I would take something home and figure it out, you know? Messed around and found a bitter melon. That was not a good experiment. But <laughs> I was like, this should be good. I'm like, whoa, there's got to be a better way for this. So at that point, there was no Google. You know, there's no Google. You're kind of finding a yeah, book. Right, yeah. Going to Barnes and Noble, like, look at a bitter melon. How do I even do this thing? So it was a lot of like kind of research and and and, and finding things. But uh, yeah, the the yeah the first place March restaurant opened my eyes of what it's like. And then I was working at March, and and Boulay was opening back up. So I got to work with David Boulay. And for those who don't know him, he is. Uh, the, the best American chef ever, you know, just incredible. Uh, not not the best businessman, not the best infrastructure, but just like cooking. Like what he would do now would be it's like the Roger Verger cuisine, uh, cuisine spontaneity, the the natural cuisine. of like you know, it's it's a sardine poached in tomato water, finished with a little bit of dill oil. Okay, and, you know, it's just as clean as possible. No fats, no things like that. Really clean, really special. And he did amazing tasting menus, and that was like. This crazy place, right? Every table was like a different menu, and it's just spontaneous and changing, and you're portioning fish to order and cooking it to order and all these things. And it was just like, wow, this is, you know, breakneck speed. And that was when I started to become a professional because you couldn't go out and get fucked up. <laughs> Could not. <laughs> if you did, you, you either don't care or you just hated yourself all day because you could not 
Yeah. Was there up. was there no social life? It was just all work. It's social, and you know, because we, yeah, you know, at work, but it's at work. At work, and then yeah. like you know, whoever's couch you're sleeping on, you guys talking to you fall asleep. You know, it's like it wasn't like you're not like outside of that circle, especially in that in that. You know, in that time, you, you know, you're pretty broke, which is cool. You're doing the things you want to do. and you, Yeah, you're learning. You're learning, and that stays for a while, and and, and you're learning, and there's great opportunities, and, and it's the best. I remember when I was working at, at Ducasse when it opened, one of my good friends, Eric Greenspan, um, we're making 20 grand a year, 25 or 20 grand a year. I mean, living in New York, it's like we're broke. You know, yeah. two people sleeping in my apartment in Queens. And it's like we'd once a month and be like, we're going to go out for a burger I think it was like a burger and like a beer. And like one day it's going to be like oysters, dried steak, and like whiskey. Like one day. Yeah. Now yeah. it's just like, yo, one burger a month. Let's do it. And and like that was like what we had. You yeah. know? And we're cool with that. And I remember like year, years later, like New York Times got hooked on, uh, or I forget who it was, got hooked on like people not being paid fairly from the old restaurants. And it was just like, well, you were hired for what you were paid for the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I worked as many hours as possible. I'd go in five hours early. I was like... I wanted to learn as much. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, let me break this down hourly and I'll give you that. It was like, I'm fortunate to be learning. Yeah, it's yeah. a different uh, mentality nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I, I, get, I get like, nobody wants to be taken advantage of. And, and, you know, as we grow our little company, we want to be the best employer possible. This is one of the things I, I learned when I opened up a restaurant in, in a, like a different market in, like, in D.C. So like, nobody cares about anything but like, be the best to your people. Like you can get away with other stuff when there's like a stack of resumes on the desk and you know, just like, can't cut it, you got to leave. Now it's like, you know, we look to bring in great people, nurture them, and kind of hopefully we shape as they grow, as opposed to, like, here's where we're going, here's the path, can you fit it? Right. Yeah. You know, and... And turnover's expensive. It's not worth it. Like, we'd yeah. rather, rather, you know, I'll take a month to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I want you, you know, for me, I'm probably, I think I always kind of, I can get people a little bit, uh, they're not quite sure. I'm like, I want you to come in and make sure we're who you want to work for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I remember talking to Jean Tomorrow from Hogsalt about yeah. hiring, and she said that uh, it's, it's not always about the most impressive resume, but it's about the personality and kind of how they are in the interview and 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 the hospitable side of things, I guess. Yeah, you, you can know, connect with people, especially for server roles. You know, for me, not not having any sort of resume, I never really looked at it or really cared about it. <laughs> I remember yeah. I, I hired a, uh, this young girl, Alexandra, once, and I was like, oh, she played soccer in college. I'm like, awesome. I was like, she went to the CIA. I was like, I'm like, the bad chick. I was like, she's going to be incredible. So I was like, tell me what you did at the CAA. She's like, well, we studied baking. I was like, oh. 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 I, was like, I, thought, I was like, I thought we had a career change. I was like, this is going to be a great employee. She was wonderful as well. But I was like, that's going to be awesome. No, but, you know, fast forward, yeah. you know, fast forward to where we are or kind of in between, you know, now from... I, I didn't feel I was ever taking advantage of the hard work I did for, like, minimal pay. Mm-hmm. Right. It was my opportunity to learn. Right? For sure. Yeah. You were a willing participant. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think, what what was it about your personality that made you rise the ranks? Because I, I imagine well, people get opportunities like that, but you it seems like you took off and were almost a prodigy without a formal education. Do you think that worked to your benefit, or do you think that you just were processing things and kind of compartmentalizing it and creating your own curriculum in your head as you learned? You know, I think I had a lot of great people around me who shaped yeah. me. Um, I think I'm really hungry. Um, you know, I think probably I'm, I just have a lot of drive and, 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 and want to learn. And uh, I don't want to be better than anybody else. I just want to be better than I was yesterday, right? So yeah. I, I just want to learn. I, You know, so maybe not having a formal education, I'd have to, like, scratch for information, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what was that word you said? I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah. when, when I started working at Ducasse, it's all in French. Yeah. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, they talk to me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? but I read that you were like the first, uh, you know, upper management in the kitchen of a Ducasse, uh, the first American yeah. upper management in a Ducasse kitchen. Yeah. You were chef de cuisine. Yeah, I was first American chef for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty big accomplishment without any French. Um, and well, I, I learned, it, I learned it quickly, right? I we o- I we opened up. Uh, ADNY, Alain Ducasse in New York in, I think, 2001. Yeah. And uh, on my station was Brendan Sotokoff. We, wow. were like sta- mm. we were like station mates. And he had worked in Paris before that. And um, and we, we were, like, I was on the pass. It's like, or on my stove. And it's like the sous chefs to the right of me and the executive chefs on the pass. And, like, Ducasse is here and the chef in Paris is there. And, you know, you, you, I'm just keyed in for, like, my five dishes. I hear Petit Pois, I'm like, me. <laughs> I'm like, that one's me. I know it is. And then it's like, you know, and then it's like I'm starting to pick up the dialect, like, what's ordered, what out before, and what's fired, and what's ordered in. And yeah. so I'm starting to, like, just pick up those little things and learning it as I go. And there weren't many Americans in the room. So it's like you didn't have to learn French, but if, you know, I, it helps. I remember in the beginning, it was like with no dishwashers for the first like month or whatever as we were getting settled. I'm like, I just can't wait for the dishwasher, somebody I can speak to and connect <laughs> with him. Like, and here comes this great group of guys from Cote d'Ivoire. <laughs> <laughs> Only speak French. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And not even like, you know, they speak of French. Yeah. So then version. you don't, then it isn't even like what you're learning from the guy from Paris. It's like, how do you then speak to them and back and forth? And so it was, you know, I learned in the most immersive way possible. And that yeah. I probably the only way I can learn. Right. I, you know, my wife has uh, got me babble before and I'm trying to learn Greek, but I'm like, I, it doesn't like, I'm getting pretty good, but I, I need like a friend. I need to go drop yeah. into somewhere. So it was very good for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I learned French in the kitchen quite well and I was shaped by it. And, I just believed in what we did at Ducasse. So how did you st- How did you start with Ducasse? I started as a, a Comey on the Entremet station. Okay. And then the chef de partie, uh, he left in like the first like three days. So I became the chef de partie. And at that point, I was just like, you know, kind of what it is for me is like, get the ball and run with it, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, that opportunity opened. Like, you know, I'm stepping through. You know, it's like, that was always like. You know, getting to the bar as a kid, like it isn't like wait for the bouncers, like just like like you own the place, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, it was like I got on there, I was like, yeah, it's my station, and then I was like, I'm on it, right? And I would just work, you know, we'd work six days a week, and I'd come in four hours early and whatever it took, and I'm gonna be the first guy in and work the hardest, be set up the first, and be ready to, you know, I just w- wouldn't, you know, I like I said, it wasn't really athletic. I was just I, like don't like losing right <laughs> I, I and and don't, i don't like it's not just being a sore loser which i am but it's like i'm going to work my butt off to kind of have a chance to win yeah, yeah. were there things you learned in that kitchen that you keep with you today that you're putting in your place everything you know yeah it's just the discipline and and you know i think one of the things i learned the most and i talked about boulet and not having the infrastructure when i got into the Ducasse kitchen i was like god damn if boulet was in this environment allowed to just be the maestro He'd be unstoppable. So one of the biggest things I learned is like building that infrastructure, mm-hmm. how to have real discipline, right? Not yelling at people and chasing people, but it's just like we just work this way. How do you think Ducasse established that? Unrelenting drive, yeah, and zero tolerance. You know, which you know now it's kind of a little bit like would be tough on people. Did you see people get fired frequently? Not frequently, uh, but I think people kind of 
Very few people got fired. A lot of people stopped coming hack in. It. it just wasn't for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I loved it because, you know, a lot of times you'll work in, or a lot of times I'd work in kitchens in the past, and it'd be like, oh, like, oh, I'm coming in on Tuesday. You're like, Tuesday? Don't eat the fish. Uh, Fred's working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, ugh. <laughs> you know? So at this place, he was like, this is awesome, and everybody's, like, held to, like... The highest standard. The highest standard or, like, the standard, right? Right. And and I, I thought that was great. So I learned home. Humility from Ducas. I learned generosity from Ducas. Just to teach, I learned principles of cuisine, uh, ingredients, technique. Uh, how he's eighty percent ingredient, twenty percent technique, and I fell in love with that as the molecular movement was like starting to bud, and it was like eighty percent technique and twenty percent ingredient. And I was like, "What is this? Huh?" Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "That's not really for me at all." I don't know. Think I'm quite smart enough for that. <laughs> Hydro. <laughs> I'm like, I'll speak to. Beef, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think uh, do you think Gordon Gecko, if he were dining out these days, he's going to molecular gastronomy places, or is that? I I think it, it would be a quite a scene to watch him inside of one. Yeah. I think he'd be like, "This is really cool." Until the fourth drink, and be like, "What the? <laughs> what are we doing here?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, excuse Coming me. In. What I asked for was, <laughs> you know. So I I don't know. I just feel like uh, I love that the. The classic. I love the reasons why, right? Right. And and learning that stuff from Ducasse and just the principles of the build on. For me, that was the whole foundation. And uh, the chef I worked for there was just amazing. Where you know all my peers were like the new two star, the new three star chef, the new chef, the new chef. And I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm I'm here now. I'm like a, a chef de partie at Ducasse in year like four, five. I'm still like I'm now working. You know, I worked the meat station for three years. Yeah. Which was like the best thing I ever did. Like you know. You work that same station. It's like the dishes come back around. You you master that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, as opposed to like nowadays. Like I did that for three months. Chef, what's next? Huh? Yeah, like, where's, like my, where's my raise? Yeah, like, I, so I'm, I really want to know what's next. I'm like, ooh, not much, man. Like you're gonna <laughs> stay right here until until we get great. I always yeah. think of the guy in uh, you know Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Yeah, the guy who did uh, Egg Station yeah, for like yeah Tamago for like. 10 years or something <laughs> still yeah. wasn't getting it right yeah, well that's that's, that's a, somebody needs to pull you aside yeah, son right. what do you think <laughs> how's it going no, no, he's like he's like waiting to take over for yeah. his dad his dad's like 110 not quite, he's not like quite there yeah. he's like yeah. Yeah. please dad yeah that, that's a little bit but i mean that kind of rigor i mean uh, japan or jap the japanese can take it to a standard that's just like you know, unachievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's cool to bring some things down a little bit so we can achieve some goals and we can have some sort of victories and feel good about what they're doing. Um, Ducasse wasn't that crazy, but it was like, you're going to have to, like, show up. Yeah. And give 100% and dial in. And I, I loved that. I loved everything about it, the the organization, the cleanliness. I thought it was, you know, for me, it's like, that was, like, it fit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. Back in those days, how important were accolades and um, critiques? Like, were you guys keeping an eye out for the critics that was, coming it, it, in? It was so that was everything, right? Yeah, it was make or break. And you know, Ducasse opened up in like this, like 
Everybody's like, oh my God, who is he to offer Cartier pens for guests to sign? <laughs> there's a purse, there's a stool for purses. What a joke. And you're like, well, the ladies have $35,000 purses, you know? It's hard to tell them to put it on the floor. Yeah. But, you know, they, like, New York wasn't like quite, it was like, who are these Parisians to tell us this? So it was like a big target. Um, we did not receive a great review. We got three stars to start. Uh, you know, the goal was four. four yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. with, with Dukas, it's, you know, it, it's either like, you know, Expectations perfection. Yeah. So the next morning, we're all like kind of bummed. And the, one of the best lessons I ever had was we walk in and there's champagne for everybody. And Takasa's like, Congratulations, guys. You guys got four stars. The three was for me. <laughs> you guys worked at four stars. That's awesome. Yeah. And we worked hard and we finally achieved it. How much wow. was uh, a, a couple? Story. Yeah. How much was a couple dropping on dinner at Dukas? You know, 20 years ago, 700 bucks. Yeah. And is that, was that like, celebrities coming in or is that just like these are the bankers who is the clientele i mean you know we never really talk about clientele but it was it was the bankers it was the it was the the real foodies like yeah. foodies from you know the 80s and 90s who were like going to leon to go try this chef they read about four years ago yeah mm-hmm. you know it was those guys it was it was some bankers and it was uh you know some celebrities here and there but um dignitaries um, another great life lesson there was we were fortunate to cook for Aretha Franklin. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. And at the end, you know, she asked uh, for all of us to sign the menu for her, which is just like, come on, like, really? Yeah, it's a nice uh, sign of respect. Yeah, but it's just like she's asking <laughs> us to sign it for her. Yeah, and, that's very cool. And I'm just like, huh? You know, so there'd be moments like that. John Louis Paladin, uh, an, an icon uh, in the game, came to... America in, in the, I think the early 90s or late 80s and opened up the Watergate restaurant, which was like, you know, it was a three-star, like amazing, uh, amazing uh, restaurant in America. His book, if you ever look at it, uh, I think it's Cooking with the Seasons, Jean-Louis Paladin. It looks like it's from 40 years in front of us. Um, hmm. His food, I'll never forget the flavors of it. He, uh, he struggled with cancer and he stayed in the hotel above, above uh, Ducas and we'd cook him lunch. And dinner, and he didn't come in and have his, you know, very simple, healthy lunch, eat very clean, and really, you know, enjoy the last kind of like, I think it was like months or weeks of his life. So he'd have mm. beautiful uh, lunch and then uh, amazing drinks and girls and cigarettes to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to go. Yeah. But this healthy is the guy, eating, this is guy who was like, rest. you know, the foie gras guy and the whole thing, yeah. fries fried in foie gras fat. And he's like, this crazy French guy, hair everywhere. Yeah. And it was just like one of the best sh- chefs I ever had the chance to be around. So being with uh, around Ducasse and being in there and, you know, going to work at Louis Kahn's in Monaco and... Yeah, it seems like opened your world. I, yeah. I mean, you know, a hundred percent. You know, I took a plane there. I had handwritten instructions in English on how to get from the airport in Nice to the helicopter port to take me to Monaco, and then from the helicopter port, how to go to the hotel and see the big horse make a right, go down the hall, and make a laugh. <laughs> and it's just like you know, there's no cell phones. Yeah, I'm um, like you know, I'm walking around at night in Monaco, and I have you know, it's hot, so I have like just my uh, old school New York undershirt, and the police like, no. You got to cover yourself up, buddy. I'm like, can't walk around with just one of these uh, Hanes white teeth. So it it opened my world, right? I come out of, you know, lunch service. There was six days a week, lunch and dinner. Employees at that point were on three-month contracts. Keep you on your toes a little bit, you know? Yeah. So you travel from all over Europe to go and cook in this mansion. Yeah. Amazing place because you're from a small town without much opportunity. And it's like, you know, we'll let you know how you're doing. 
how long did you stay there for? I stayed there for the summer. Two, okay. Yeah, so which was which was amazing. Um, it was incredible. Only, it, the whole restaurants in French was great. It really improved that for me. Uh, the level of uh, product was just insane. And, uh, you know, it's inc- just being in Monaco. Yeah. You know, just being there and working there. I'd, I'd have, I'd have uh, you know, I think I had three or four different alarms, you know. On the bedpost, a watch, a little one here, buying one at the airport. I'm like, oh, I need a bunch of them. And it was just, you know, it was, it was amazing, right? Yeah. You know, that type of stuff. You know, I opened my world. I, I went to the the bar at night with the guy, the cooks, and they're playing like American music. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, you guys listen to American music here? I, I had no idea, you know. What was, kind of old, old school American? No, it's just what, like you know, I pop. Yeah, just like regular mm. current American music. I was like, really? Huh? Somebody had a Long Island iced tea. I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm from there. My <laughs> native beverage. You yeah. guys have this is <laughs> us. You put all the booze. In the, big, in the biggest <laughs> glass you have, yeah. top of a little bit of soda, and you're all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're fine for a while. But, I mean, it opened my world, like, completely. Like, I didn't, you know, it wasn't even in the vocabulary, you know. Yeah. And, and so that was amazing for me, right? That was, like, you know, that was my formal training. Right? And so it wasn't, like, formal in school, but I did that rigor for with the guys for seven years. And know? then you go to French Laundry after that? Yeah, and then I went to the French Laundry, and uh, and that was interesting. You know, it was, it was amazing. Uh, what Thomas built up there is really smart. I think uh, being a chef is is one of his many great skills, but the uh, curating this experience and, you know, in that era of no Instagram and things of that nature, curating this experience, a a long haul, right? It's not like no photo dump of the build out. Yeah. Like a long haul and, and really one plate at a time. You talk about a guy who works his butt off, right? He's there. He's he lives behind it, works his tail off to get it to where it is, unrelentingly with the expectations, and 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 created something that's really magical. That that's the beginning of, you know, that was that's the beginning of a of a mega restaurant company. Yeah, the, I've still not been to the laundry, Danny. I believe you have. I did. I went when I was very young. What yes. were some of the special? Uh, what what what's some of the secret sauce on that restaurant the, from an experience standpoint? I mean, I think just... Actually, I want, I'm curious yeah, from both yeah, of you. Yeah, like, from, from the inside <laughs> perspective and then from the diner's perspective. And you were what? It was, you were four years no, old? That was your yeah, fourth birthday? 16 years old. Uh, <laughs> and it was the first, like, really fancy meal we'd ever had as a family. And definitely changed changed things. You thought you were going to a laundromat? That's right. I was like, where's the laundry? <laughs> yeah, um, on clothes. <laughs> yeah, I had, like, yeah, a sack of laundry with me. <laughs> what stands out in your mind? Um... I think it was just the flavors and the, I guess, the procession of courses. I remember, like, the little, like, salmon cone, whatever that dish yeah. is. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, like, the nicest meal I'd had was, like, Ruth's Chris. Yeah. It was, like, a steak. <laughs> well, I, I think the, steak, the procession so. is really where it's... Um, the procession is really something that's, that's really quite well orchestrated there. The plateware, the silverware, the courses... How a meal flows to somebody. The, mm-hmm. kitchen, the kitchen team spends a good amount of time at the end of the night, kind of really conjuring up the menu for the next day. What are we serving? What's the progression? You know, and kind of like the, everybody's included. So it's like I, I think for my station, when we do the uh, the beats with uh, X Y Z, it's like, ooh, I don't know if you should because I'm doing pomegranates, of course, before it's a little bit of the same flavor profile. What should we do next? Yeah. So it's really set up to be to really work that way. It's an it's an amazing, tasty menu restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the setting is unbeatable. That was one of the things that I, I was like, wow, when you get this setting to start, right? Your, your family's vacation, right? It's beautiful. You, you know, with an older family, they're going to the vineyard first. You go back to Villaggio, great hotel. You have your massage. It's, it's gorgeous out, you know? And then you go to the, this restaurant that seems like it's in the middle of all the vineyards and it's set up just as beautifully. You're in an amazing place. I was like, well, try New York City, okay? Your whole day kind of stunk. It's pouring rain. <laughs> Couldn't find a cab before Uber. Couldn't find yeah. a cab. Get out of the cab, step in a puddle, show up to the restaurant late. Where's your head at? You know, so it's like that's what New Yorkers had to deal with. You yeah, know? it wasn't like everybody's like you know French Laundry. Like, and, and again, this isn't uh, Thomas didn't jump on this. He helped curate all of yeah. this. Yeah, you show up at the French Laundry, you're taking pictures in front of the front door. Right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> like we're here, yeah. which is amazing, right? Like that's like, you know that. To get people to put their guards down, to get people to entrust in something so much that a family that's going to take their first, like, fine dining meal there, like, we will do this. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. And uh, I think what what was built there, it's like, I mean, there's probably, probably most chefs dream of that, kind of getting that opportunity or creating that for themselves. Where it's yeah. Like, it's on my terms in my backyard, you know. Who were some of the chefs you uh, crossed paths with there? Uh, when I was there, uh, Timothy Hollinsworth was there, uh, one of the best chefs in that kitchen. Uh, I had a chance to marry uh, my wife, Xing Chen. She was the pastry chef oh, wow. there. Nice. So that was great. She worked alongside uh, Francisco Magoya, who is the uh, lead uh, culinary um, director for the Modernist Cuisine. So he did all the books with them and did all that. So he's a dear friend. Dennis Peckham, a chef up in uh, Vancouver. Um, who else was in that kitchen then? Good Greek kid from Queens, John Economo. Nice. Uh, John Marquez, who has his own restaurant in uh, in Walnut Creek. Andrew Miller, good friend of mine. He works alongside Daniel Patterson. Did a bunch of the stuff. Did local down in Compton. Did did a bunch of that stuff. Worked, was the chef of Qua. Yeah. And to name a few, you know. Yeah. So yeah. The, I mean, and it's a team of like like twelve. Yeah. Not, it's not how, a team of seventy-five. How did Scotty Barnes? How did the experience of working with? Keller compared to Ducasse and Boulet? Well, you know, uh, I think Keller is, is, is a, a complete, is, is, is more of a complete version of Boulet, right? Boulet is, is the artist. I mean, complete artist. Yeah. Like, like, sorry, there's no uniforms today. Yeah, not writing mm-hmm. recipes down. No, all of it just like, you know, no, I mean, Boulet, you'd go and meet in the thing, you'd have an easel out. Here's what we're going to do. And, and it's like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, you're like, that's pretty cool. Like, and that's how he would do it. You know, he, he was the artist's lifestyle. Yeah. Um, Thomas Keller was a businessman as well as the artist. And, you know, for me, it's hard to compare anybody with Alan Ducasse. Right. You know, maybe Joel Robichon, uh, But, I mean, this is a guy who ran, you know, the best hotels in the world and still is around the whole world running stuff and created an empire of uh, of just consistency. And, and at that point, you know, I think he was really one of the best it was or is. Yeah. Know. What does pre-shift look like at French Laundry? It's great. Very informative. Uh, chef leads it at the front of the house. Um, go through every new menu item. Menu changes frequently, if not cons- every day. Mm-hmm. So the pre-shift is something that's uh, very informative. Talk about the guests. It's uh, the run of the show. Really lays out what's happening that night. There's really nothing unexpected. Which, How many covers a night? 
I forget the number, but it, you know, 65, 85. Okay. At that so point. it's small. Yeah. Not yeah. yeah well, small, maybe a second turning. I don't know, maybe 90 some nights. I don't know. Mm. But uh, yeah, but in, in those restaurants, the cover count doesn't really. Uh, doesn't yeah. really affect much. <laughs> right. I remember the first yeah. the first night in the locker room after after like Ducas were like that was thirteen people. <laughs> we're like, oh my god. <laughs> so it's like you know it just gets ramped up a little more. So uh, yeah. yeah, the cover the cover, but I think sixty five is sixty five ninety something in there. Yeah, I don't recall exactly, but and then okay, so you're at French Laundry. How do you transition back to Chicago? How do you come? Well, I was from New York, so I went back to New York. Oh, yeah, got it. Sorry. So I was in the French Laundry. It wasn't going well. Uh, I got into an incident with an employee there. You know, I thought it was nothing. Turned out to be a big thing. Kind of me and I probably was end of my time there. Yeah. As well. Um, and I, I was asked to leave. You know, I was asked to either quit or leave. I said, you know, I, I'll leave, right? Yeah. Um, went, went back. Didn't know what I was going to do. Drove uh, to L.A. to see my buddy that night. Went from L.A., drove to see my parents in uh, South Carolina then. Uh, went there. My twin brother, who I lived with and uh, lived with, now moved into his girlfriend on, the, on uh, 180th and uh, West Broadway. And I was like, awesome. I was like, perfect. <laughs> you know, I was like, I got a place to stay up there. He's like, whoa. So then I you know, stayed with my parents for like a day or two. I, uh, I got this gig to cook upstate New York for a dinner like a week later. And I was cooking for this. Kind of old client I had in like Warren Buffett. I was like, yeah. that's going to be awesome, man. Wow. For Warren Buffett. <laughs> so then I, I went to a furniture factory in North Carolina, picked up a couch for my brother, drove a U-Haul back up to almost, the, you know, almost the Bronx, you know, by myself, got there. And my brother and I are trying to load this couch and, and we're like, oh, man. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Loaded that thing in there and, and had a place to stay for a while. <laughs> finally, finally got that sleeper in. I was like, the sleeper's going to be a little too big, but... I had plans for it, you know. Where's the, where's the twin brother now? He's in Chapel Hill. Not not in the food world though. Uh, very much so. Oh, really? in, on the other side. So my, my twin brother is really my uh the complete opposite. Uh went to school, intelligent, uh thoughtful, takes his time and stuff. And, <laughs> uh but uh he's a culinary agent. So he represents a lot of great talent on uh, cool. book deals, TV deals, restaurant deals and stuff like that. So he represents kind of the, the best of the in the of the crop. Interesting. So we're we're always kind of back and forth talking on things and he's really you know, he's, he's my partner in everything, right? So talking about business deals, opportunities, stuff like that, and that's cool. Right? So yeah, it's, it's always great. All right, so you're in New York. When do you make the decision to come to Chicago? How does that come to be? So I'm in New York. Uh, I went back to New York, and a project I was touching base on in New York before I went to California, and I was still kind of talking on, was uh, called Country Restaurant with Jeffrey Zakarian, and he had he. Had, had owned um, town restaurant and he was opening country and country was this uh, old uh, 1900s hotel that's being redone and thankfully the uh, New York Historical Society slowed it down to a snail's pace that I was able to kind of get back on board of that when I came back to New York and that was um, majestic um, full service uh, three services a day seven days a week cafe downstairs like the Woolsey in London and a fine dining dining room upstairs um, big banquet room downstairs, whole hotel, six small banquet rooms. And it was kind of like the, my rebuttal to like when I came back, I was going to open my own restaurant. I met with this guy. He was like this big plastic surgeon with Staten Island. Me and my buddy, my buddy went to law school with his son. Went for lunch with the guy and the guy's like, what the hell do you know about running restaurants? I'm like, huh? <laughs> He's like, you work in these restaurants that do like 65 covers with 35 employees. And you're a lawyer for two years. What the hell do you know about law? 
restaurant law. He's like, I, I'm like, so I'm like, all right, I got to get a real, a real job, right? And right. So I did this kind of big hotel restaurant. We did great. We crushed it in some ways. Got a three stars from New York Times. Got a Michelin star when I first came to New York. All that's great. And then, you know, we had this wonderful uh, 2006, 2007 uh, financial debacle. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, that was the second time for me that I ever, the second awakening for me that, like, wow, I'm directly connected to, like, the economy. Because yeah. as I mentioned, I went kind of cooking because I was like, I could go anywhere. Everybody's got to eat. Two th- you know, 9-11 was like a real, a real shocker. And then this was like, oh, wow, we're big trouble. So, and how, how did that compare to 2020? Oh, it was twice as devastating. Well, 2020 was crazy, you know? But yeah. 2020, you're probably like in 2008, you're probably like, how could it get worse? Yeah. And then, <laughs> well, 9-11 in New York was nuts, true, true, you know? Yeah, 9-11 was just like, it, not only was it that day, it took months to get people back in the city to eat. Yeah. Months. And restaurants were just like, there's nobody here. Like, things just closed. So, yeah. like, was there help for that? No, not, not, that, not for like cooks. So, like, and, yeah. uh, you know, Ducasse for, I, I, I forget the exact stance he took, but it's like, did not fire anybody, laid nobody off, but reduced salaries mm-hmm. or something like that, which I thought was like a very fair thing yeah. to do. Because a lot of the people were like, like, there's no more business. Like, you have a restaurant yeah. south of 14th Street, it's like, there's nobody going out to eat and celebrate. Right. There's nothing. It was just like kind of the tool, as we're kind of crawling back now, right? Crawling back. So that was a big one. 2006, 2007, 8. I thought that was a little bit of a blip compared to like 9 11 to 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's when, so I was, I was there and um, Brendan Sotokoff introduced me to Rich Melman. I was working on, I opened a small restaurant in New York called Smith. Um, was Brendan with Lettuce at the time? He was. He was with Lettuce. Or, just, or maybe he had just left or something like that. Um, so I opened this restaurant, Smith, and it was like, you know, the downtown kind of restaurant. And it was like, I got like the worst review ever. It was like, Saltus takes it easy. I was like, what do you mean take it easy? I'm like, I got this little Brooklyn restaurant. And it's got huh. three guys in the kitchen. I got a burger for you. One night I work without a dishwasher to do it all. You know, I'm still doing all. I'm like, I thought I'm giving you like your... your you know, that, what you yeah, want, what do you yeah. want? Yeah, yeah. do you guys all want that Brooklyn restaurant now? Like, well, you're that fine dining guy, aren't you? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, my reputation messed with you. Yeah, and I was like, actually, I'm kind of not in a lot of ways, right? Like, that world's awesome, and speaking French at the table is all cool, and charging lots of money is all cool, but that wasn't exactly, you know, my, my friends would come in, I'd be like, sorry, man, it's going to be very expensive. You know, it didn't really, yeah. Yeah, didn't right. really connect to, like, the people I was around. So, like, cooking, like, a downtown thing was, like, I thought this could be great. And, you know, besides the review that wasn't the most glowing thing, or it wasn't really that the, 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 the commentary on what we did was good, but just, like, the, the commentary on what I was doing was kind of, like, a little bit, like, ooh, that hits home, you know? Yeah. But I also realized I can't make any money in this tiny little place. So, um, Rich reached out to me, or we talked for a while, and probably for two months, three months before I came out, and he was... Um, working on a bistro or wanted to work on a bistro and L2O was going through some transitions. So I kind of, I'd come out and do like, I don't know, a week a month or a week every other month and two weeks a month. And then I was kind of commuting back and forth to New York. I'd come for a week, do some consulting, do some things and stuff like that. And then finally we got um, the opportunity or the the thoughts in, in line to start working on RPM Italian. And I moved out to Chicago. I moved out to Chicago in, I think, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And uh, 
been been a good ride. You know, I stayed with lettuce for, geez, I think, ten years, ten years, something like that. Maybe maybe nine, ten years. Opened up twenty one restaurants. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, how does the pace of lettuce compare to eat well? You know, the pace of lettuce is a little more breakneck, right? Uh, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a different pace, but I mean, like. In terms of your work-life balance, like oh, at that you time know. you're opening, you're expected to open a bunch of restaurants a year, and now you're doing it at your own pace. Yeah, and and, and that was you know that pace there. You know, I couldn't. It could have been faster for me. I just wanted more. Right? <laughs> it's like I, I just love it, right? I was just blinders on, like how much more can I do? How much, you know? So it was really, it was really great. But yeah, health-wise, I suffered uh, mentally, physically. Uh, wasn't the best for me. Uh, you know. Looking at it from the sideline, really good uh, educationally and business-wise and life-wise, but physically, mentally, probably wasn't the best place for me to be in. There were a lot of like weird things that just didn't like weren't exactly. I wasn't right for them, and they weren't right for me, and we were trying to make it work for years. Right, you know, which was always like, oh my god, oh my god. you know, back forth. I'm sure it was felt on both sides, and a lot of relief on both sides. Just like we weren't going to be married, right? Right, we were like trying to live together, trying to live together. We we're never going to be married, and it's like the. There's a reason why, right? So that was always kind of there, which I think created a lot of like tension for me, a lot of anxiety. What uh, were the challenges in that infrastructure for you? You know, I, I, I want the last call. Yeah. Plain and simple. You know, I, I want the last call. I'm willing to bet anything on it. Um, but it's harder for me to bet on somebody else's last call if I don't agree with it. Right. Like to compromise. Yeah. Well, you know, it's even, even if it's just like, I think we should, you know, it's like hard for me to be like, I want to, you know, I want to work as a team, but it, I, I have a good idea of what we got to do to win. You know, right. and, and I know I know they do as well. It's just a slightly different game. So compromises are tough, and different personalities are tough. Uh, so those are some things I learned to manage, and some things I learned weren't exactly. I don't know. I don't know if I need all of that. Yeah. Right. You know. It's, you know, and and so for when after lettuce, it's just like focus on a lot less. That means a lot more. Yeah. So I think that was one of the things, and the most important thing for me, and something that I think got away from me, uh, running so many restaurants. It's like, good to see you, buddy. <laughs> like hey, not man. knowing, yeah. not knowing your staff, or you know, yeah, yeah. going with you know having a drink with somebody or at a holiday thing. I'm like, awesome. How long have you been uh, with RPM now? Like, I opened it with you. You're like, you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Nice job. And how? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, nice, nice job. That's yeah. really cool. You know that that didn't feel that great for me. Yeah, no, but you know, so getting a chance to really, you know getting a chance to really include my wife and work alongside her because. She would do some consulting, but never felt she was never really on the team. Like never fully integrated into that. I, yeah, world. no, that was not going to be her world. You yeah. know, I can I can get I can handle a lot of different business conversations and make my compromises somewhere here and there and understand that I, she's like not really looking to be bothered. Like here, I want to do some great stuff, and it's like this. If not, I'm happy to chill with the dog. You know, it's cool at home. You know, <laughs> so it's just great. Like you know, with with building, eat well, and getting a chance to watch my wife flourish and really grow and you know she's in, doing incredible stuff with like our little pr and the marketing and taking all her pictures you know at the new restaurant she loves doing the floral and she creates patience she gets, and does writing she gets a chance to to grow as opposed to like have another chocolate cake yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like how's your quinell looking jeff you know it's <laughs> yeah. like she's wanting to grow too and and really creating opportunities for other people a lot right. of people i've worked with I, I mean i mean at andres alone there's four guys in the kitchen who've, who've worked with me for over 10 years each you know, so creating opportunities for people. And that was one of the things that Shing and uh, our partners, you know, Luis Aguilar and Eric Howard. And when we opened up Andres Taverna, it was just like, we, this is to create opportunities for people. 
Like huh. it's the darkest day out there, but in here it's going to be great. You know? Yeah. How did you come up with that concept as the first of your, you know, of your new company? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I always wanted to do something that was Creek. You know, my, my dad passed, I think it's uh, five or six years ago today. Wow. And I always wanted to do something like kind of for him and with, you know, for that whole thing. And I would do all these different concepts with, with lettuce. And I think it was like ramen sauna. I was like, this should be Greek, you know, <laughs> just like, because uh, when I built ramen sauna, I like, you know, I just wanted to be like a restaurant that served ramen, right? We could have flipped it to Italian food, whatever, right? It's just like a restaurant, not like, not themed out. This guy should be Greek like this instead of like white building with blue sky, blue ceiling and stuff like that. We can do it. Can do, just do Greek food. And then went on and, um, we did Petri of Portofino. I was like, this would be perfect to be Greek, right? And that's a, that one had a, a little bit of Greek stuff on the on the menu. And then I always wanted to, to do one RPM seafood. I wanted to be like RPM Greek. And I was like, it should just be a big Greek restaurant. It'd be like perfect. We have Italian steak, Greek. It'd be like its own thing. Like, And it was always, you know. Now it's a Malfi Coast theme. Well, you know, right? it became like, you know, just do Mediterranean. I'm like, that's like, you know, like for a person who is or identifies as greek it's like that's kind of insulting because it's like there's different cultures yeah, it's not just yeah. mediterranean doesn't just capture everything yeah you right. know a little hummus a little bit of paella i'm like no it's like yeah, there's it's not yeah. there's cultures and years of definition there so i, I you know so working working through that whole thing and um when i felt i shing and i were trying to move to la to open up a couple of andreses we had a business partner there uh, we had tentative locations, one in uh, West Hollywood and one in Highland Park. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's perfect. It's going to be, like, great, simple. Um, I don't know if I'm in love with this partner, but I know what he does. I know his evils, all this stuff. He can get mm -hmm. me going. Yeah, and the we devil out, you know. Yeah, we were out there the Wednesday before uh, the world shut down. Or the, I was out there the Saturday before the world shut down on the, that Sunday, right? Mm. Um, and I was going back on Wednesday. And my wife's like, I don't know if you should travel. I'm like, I don't know, plane's still flying on Monday. <laughs> on Tuesday, I was like, well, no plane, but I can Zoom. Tuesday night, I'm like, I don't think I want to say that restaurant word to anybody. I was like, we'll put that on hold. Um, Ryan O'Donnell of Ballyhoo Hospitality and Billy Lawless uh, from The Gage, and they had the space in Logan Square. They were planning to do something with it, and they had the full 5,000 square feet. And uh, they kind of had other things to worry about besides another new project. So Eat Well, or me and my wife teamed up with Ryan and Ballyhoo, and um, we executed the lease and built it out. And Ballyhoo's been great for us there, taking care of our HR and accounting, and we were able to kind of define the restaurant, and it gave us that kind of opportunity we needed. I got rid of the back half of it that I'll take probably, or I'm going to, and uh, built out the you know, a restaurant that I was designing. I'm like, it's great. You can walk in this way, order at the counter, walk out the back door that way. I'm like, no, you can get ticket systems so there's no wait staff. It's like all this stuff is just like, what am I building, right? It's all like the world's changing in like 30 seconds. They, it, <laughs> you know, nobody's going to share ever again. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I don't know. Pizza's the biggest thing going on right now. <laughs> like, is everybody over to the pizza place? I thought you said nobody's going to share. Lacey Susan's are over. You're like, yeah. that's not true, you know? <laughs> so we're building this thing out and... uh and for me, it was just wonderful. Uh, at first, I was like, you know, it's so great. I get a chance to do something I always wanted to do. I've never done it before. I'm just so excited to get certified as a Neapolitan pizza guy. And then I'm like, no, 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 you're not going to do pizza. Let's just do the Greek thing. Because <laughs> I was like, I'll just do, you know, I'll do something easy. I'll do pizza. I'll do pizza. And then I'm like, no, let's do the Greek thing. And I kind of passed it by my, my, my team. And they're like, yeah, let's go with it. So we just kind of went from there. And 
you know, we were playing around with different names and couldn't, couldn't figure out the right name and thought we had a name that was kind of, I think, in hindsight, it's like so, so terrible. And thankfully, it was taken by something else. And then I was like, let's just go with Andros Taverna. What was the other name? Olia. Okay. It's like a made-up Greek word, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like a female olive, you know, and, and I was like, because I wanted to be feminine and light and clean, yeah. and then I was like, I'm just going to go with Andros. I know it's the kind of masculine, but I'm like, it's the island my family's from. Yeah, that's it, cool. It's just easy, you know, and, and it just kind of fell into line with, like, things that, you know, Shing and I write down all the time. It's like honest, intentional, transparent, or, like, really important things for us. So it's like, this is just like, I can actually answer the question. I'm supposed to be like, uh, I don't know, it sounded good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's like where 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 my family's from, and yeah, it's authentic. Yeah, it just it fits right, and you know, it's the food I grew, a lot of the, it's, it's a lot of the food I grew up eating. It's a lot of just like kind of I thought that's at that time as well. It's like designed a restaurant that, that feels very clean, uh, very sleek, uh, create. I, I before that I thought health was the movement. You know, it's like create food that's healthy, people crave. Yeah, you know, I thought that was really important. You know. I'm, when creating the restaurant, you know, it's very efficient. I thought, you know, I'm really confident in cooking simply. I'm really confident I can buy great ingredients. I'm really confident that if I can buy great ingredients, if I'm proud to cook simply, it's going to take the least amount of employees and work really well. Um, spent, our, spent the energy to cook the pita to order. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like pizza guys do it. We can do this, you know. So just focus on small little things and, and allowed us, you know, it was, it was a great environment, right? I know it's COVID. I know it's weird. It was tough thing, tough hurdles. But for us inside there, it was wonderful, right? Yeah. It was like, congratulations, guys. You set a record tonight. We had no, we had no, no history. Yeah. <laughs> everybody else is like, everybody else is like, oh my god, I'm so yeah. far off. 2018, it's terrible. You had the champagne ready for your whole team. Every, every, every well, we did not quite champagne, but sparkling bubbles from Greece. <laughs> Uzo, <laughs> yeah, pet nap, you know, from Greece. But no, it's just like Saturdays. Like, guys, we just set a record on Saturday. Yeah. That was awesome. As opposed, to, I talked to everybody else like, we're off 40. percent Yeah, for yeah. sure. We're selling everything. I Did was you? telling Tim, uh, or uh, sorry, I was, yeah. I was telling Doug before you came back. Um, about how how Costa was talking about the Euro being the best in the city oh, yeah. at Andros, <laughs> and how then someone else went to have it and then confirmed that it was. You know, yeah, I can confirm that as well. Are there because when you're putting that menu together, are there certain Greek staples you wanted to include, even though it's not like it's not super traditional? Um, are there some things where it's like you know you talk about um, doing it for your dad a little bit? Or are there things like there are things he's going to be expecting to see on this menu yeah and i didn't want to serve any of that stuff because not for the old greeks you <laughs> yeah know? right I, I was saying before like i had no intention of serving like a euro i was like it's mm-hmm. not that kind of place not going to do that I, I'm, I'm not going to serve a moussaka i would never do that i wanted to be, all be like fresh grilled like you in tavernas in greece then like the i think the second sunday after we open a good friend of mine who i've been like for like two or three years playing around the euro on his on his grill like three times a summer he was coming in i'm like i'm gonna make him that euro and then, and then the wait says, like, is this something new for the menu? I'm like, no, why? What do you mean? I just made it for one guy. We do it as a family meal. They're like, this is incredible. I'm like, okay, so we'll try it. Now it's like, it's a star, right? Yeah. So it works very well. But no, I, I you know, I, I didn't, I wanted to be so different than Greek islands and, and Greek town and right. what thing people thought it was. I wanted to be like when you eat in Greece, right? Healthy, clean, like, you know, you, I, I always tell the team, like, you see everybody in this audience here, yeah, they, they work like fools for 51 weeks to spend one week a year eating simply at a tavern in Greece where it's just like I'll take you know like you order your parts I'll take the horta I'll take some potatoes I'll take octopus mm-hmm. I'll take one fish we'll take a little sardines I'll have a salad as well bring out a plate of cheese bring out this and that and we all just kind of snack and share and that's one of the things that you know 
is really important. It's just like all those little things of like sharing in that communal part. Mm-hmm. So like speaking of my dad, the Euro is George's Euro because my dad would have loved the Euro, but I, would, I wasn't going to put it on for him. But but now it is, and it's great. He, he you know, so that that's a cool one. And you know, then I have like his uh, his mom's uh, cookie recipe, the corbiettes on the menu and the, and the grape leaves. For some reason, at the age of like eighteen or whatever, my grandmother was. You know, obviously starting to kind of fail. My grandfather had passed, and I was like, I'm going to go out there and just learn the recipes. So I went out there and just cooked with my grandmother and learned how to learn how to do everything. And I wrote them down. I we still use some of those recipes. So oh, that, cool. So that's really cool. And like, yeah. you know, she was uh, part of this Greek uh, cookbook. In the um, I think in the 60s they would do these church cookbooks, right? Mm-hmm. So all the churches would like put together the best recipes. So there's like. Musaka one, Musaka two, Musaka four, <laughs> Hilda's Musaka, Musaka six. You know, <laughs> so you have to, do, and each one has. And then, and then you know, my grandmother's notes are in there with cross yeah. out like that. No, she's wrong about that. And this, you know, so all the corrections to the cookbook. So I have that. I kind of played with some stuff, but we wanted to be really light and 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 fresh and fun, but be soulful. So for people who are familiar with it and grew up in that household, it has those right flavors. It feels right, but it's also not stodgy and heavy, right? So mm-hmm. it's clean, it's fresh, and. Uh, so I think that's kind of been like a lot of our ethos there. So it's a little bit for the family, but a lot of it, it's like kind of where we're going forward, you know? Yeah. Did you have the phases opening during COVID? Did you have the phases planned out? And it's like, okay, when, if, and when we get to this point, this is what we're going to open. This is where we're moving next. And, uh, well, um, we were going to do to go only for Valentine's day and the restaurants got open to the public. And I was like, we're going to serve in the restaurant for Valentine's day. I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's the easiest thing ever. Right. We'll just go Friday, Saturday, Sunday with this set menu. Close Monday, Tuesday, because when we close Monday, Tuesdays, open back up on Wednesday when nobody will come in. Mm-hmm. So we'll be fine, right? It's like free money kind of, right? Like we can like, like we all worked together before. I didn't have like a new team. It was like, you know, I'm on the grill. My chef's to the left of me. My sous chef's to the, to the left of him. My wife's on Garmo with uh, our pastry chef or whoever who's worked with us for a while. It's like we all worked together for a long time. So I was like, no, we'll just do this. Like, <laughs> we don't need, like, any practice in some ways. Like, yeah. we'll do a set yeah. menu. And, like, let's do the set menu Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because at that point, it's like, geez, when can you open? Like, and I don't know, how long can you not open for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so we got open quickly, got that going, and then closed from Monday, Tuesday. And then we, we, we wanted to grow slowly. I thought the biggest thing for us and, you know, opposite what I'd done before, it was, like, take it as easy as possible. It was like, for me, it was more important for like how my team felt. Mm-hmm. Then like, I think we could do four more days. I think I could do more. I think I do more. It's like, how's the team feeling? So we were fortunate in that manner. Like all those things kind of played for us in the right way, taught us to really listen to our staff, you know, interviewing people every day, you know, at that point, you know, not fair to their former employers or where they were working. It was very hard for an employer to make an employee feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're all coming and be like, I don't feel good for my last employer, you know, they're not there, I'm there, I'm this, and you're like, well, we can start over, right? Yeah. My wife and I will be here, here's what we're going to do. We have KN95s for you guys. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. you know, so we were able to do that, and we opened up when we felt good. Yeah. Like, do we have the right amount of staff? In the past, I'd worked with, with companies, and it's like, open 7H, like, we're staff of five, by the way. Like, <laughs> well, you'll cover the extra bases. Good for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we were able to kind of like really creep along that way. Yeah. And I thought that was um, an ev- a really great advantage. And having that patience is something that for us at, at Eat Well, that's important and really growing when we can. Um, you know, I see so many companies and people growing and taking advantage of all these great opportunities. And I'm just like, but 
I just saw they're like struggling for employees at the existing spot. I'm yeah, like, how do you staff it? Well, it's, it's just petrifies me as like somebody who's actually going to operate. Like, you're going to create this thing that you can never recover from. I just believe so much in like creating the great culture, the right foundation. That if you grow on it, grows well. If like that culture and that foundation is like weak, and you talked about what Gene was saying, it's not the talent, it's the people. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the right people in the right place, you go to grow. It's like the, the what gives me the the biggest stressor for me would be going backwards. And cleaning up messes and things right, of that yeah. nature. And you're like, I'm trying to go forward, but I didn't go back to take care of this stuff. It's like that doesn't seem like uh, the, the, the best use of energy, money, or time. You know? Yeah. How does Asador Bastion come about? So Asador Bastion, uh, I live near the building that it's in, which is a historical townhouse. Um, somebody reached out to me. He said, hey, I got this guy who got this building. He's looking for a restaurant to operate there. He mentioned what he wanted to do there. I said, let me, let me show you this idea. You know, my partner there, Christian Ekman, we met in San Sebastian, I don't know, in 2000, geez, I don't know, 2000 something, yeah. 2005 maybe. Okay. And um, celebrating the release of the memoir. <laughs> yeah. On, on a victory lap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still writing it. <clears throat> or went out there and uh, he was cooking at, at Arzac and they're like, oh, here's the American. <laughs> you know, you, there's the great so, intro. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, hi, how you doing? I'm, I'm American Hello. visiting. They're like, yeah. here's our American. You guys should say hello. <laughs> so I, I talked to him there, and then when uh, we came out here, reconnected. He was at Lettuce. He he ran Ambria as a chef de cuisine there, and then uh, worked alongside me to create all, most of the restaurants we did, and really uh, the real the real strength and the muscle and the support to do everything. Right, the real guy is going to like really hammer the nail in, take care of things day in and day out, and a real partner. Um, we always dreamt of doing a Spanish restaurant. His son's name is Sebastian. We we love, like, really Basque cuisine. And I think as the world evolved and what people are looking for, I think people want premium products, really simply prepared. At least that's kind of where I where I head on stuff. Had you been to Echabari? Yeah. And was that, like, a big inspiration? It, it's very inspiring. I think Echabari is, like, very... Uh, it's an aspirational restaurant for sure, and it's like one of a kind. Yeah. That, that there's some great, you know, you aspire to, to be in that position as well. But I think for me, what's more inspiring is like just more the rustic asadores and El Cano, the fish markets in, in uh, Katera that are just like cooking turbo in a simple way and soles and basugos. And so the marriage of those two things, San Sebastian, I think, is one of the most mythical places in the yeah, world. It's super pretty. It's almost impossible to get there. You only go there for architecture, food, or surfing. Else is like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> it, it's like it's it, it it's tough on a vacation because it's like a day to travel there, a day to travel out from anywhere. Yeah, you know, you got to like, you know, last November we we went from like Athens and we're going to the San Sebastian. Like, cool, so you go to Barcelona and Barcelona, yeah, Barcelona. to Bilbao, Bilbao to a car. You're like, great, this will take me eight hours. <laughs> you know, it's like so it like kind of ruins a day. But when you get there, it's amazing, right? Yeah, picturesque, and I I love the. The brutality of this, the shoreline, it's, you know, just like the roughest shoreline, but it's also the home of maritime. So all the boats, just like that thought of me, of the boats going out through that to bring back these amazing fish and, and then going to Katera and seeing all the great restaurants there from El Cano to Kaikapi and just how they cook. And then Asador uh, Nicholas and Casa Julian and just, and Asador Portuguese, just like how they, it's just like the chuletón, big steak cooked over charcoal cut, but it's like the beef is just off the charts amazing and uh you know for the last 10 years i've been like down like really focused on like just great sort i always have but really focused on great sourcing and 
kind of go around, go to Europe more for my uh, my kind of like uh, discovery of the of the best cattle or beef. You know, in, in America, we've done this amazing job of curating this uh, certified Angus beef thing. That's this weird kind of like farm-raised salmon parallel. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they do an amazing job, like you know. But how many of those twenty-four ounce bone-in USDA prime ribeyes are on a businessman's plate tonight in the right. world? Tonight in the world, hundred thousand. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah that's why like doesn't Gibson's have their own? Yeah, they level. Have, I think lettuce might not might also. They could. I'm not sure. But um, but if it's going through USDA, it's all the same thing with a different color, right? Mm-hmm. Or just if it's going through that system, you know, it's just like they have to be. They're all. It has to be. They push the button and it goes that way. These these guys kill 70,000 heads a week. <laughs> like the farms I work with do like 300 heads a year. Yeah. Wow. It's just different. Utterly different. Yeah. Is it uh, competitive to procure? No, it isn't because like what I'm looking for, nobody else really wants yet. Yeah. It's just you have to be patient. You know, like some of the stuff we'll buy, like, you know, the animals are 30 to 40 months old. Industry standards 18. Hmm. So it's like when, I, you know, I... We brought the last. Uh, we buy half animals. We buy, we buy big pieces. We we, so it's a little bit different than how uh, a large restaurant that might serve a hundred fillets a day. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we get sixteen. We don't even buy them, but if we wanted sixteen fillets, every you know it takes thirty months, forty months to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the animals that we have a chance to buy, they're four years old. You know, three years, four years old. And so it's a it's a very different process. Yeah. Slow. Yeah, very slow. So we we go back and forth through a couple different uh, farms, and and uh, you know some of the stuff. I mean, we go through hoops to try and get it. So it's really outside the normal purveyor route. Kind of you know same thing with our fish program at Andros. We we have a broker and we buy our fish from the Athens market and the and the Barcelona market. Hmm. So it's kind of like we you know we bring in the product we need. Yeah, when you go through that level of care and sourcing, do you feel an obligation to get that information to the diner or do you just let the food speak for itself? We try to share it, you know, yeah. we're, we're, our menus are typically aren't designed that wordy. Yeah. So it's really like, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit of like our wait staff kind of speaks of it, you mm-hmm. know, in, in those ways. We'll we just make this podcast mandatory listening yeah. for yeah. the guests. <laughs> yeah. They have to sit out front in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. Listen well, to it's not, you know, just it's, to hear about it. We, we try to make sure the story is conveyed properly and, and mm-hmm. people know what they're eating, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're we're happy people eating sardines and barbunia and 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 all the great fish at Andros. Mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. like, you know this fish came from Athens last night. Are you aware of that? You know, yeah. that's great that's to know, and to it's a cool thing. It. But it's just like for us, it's just like, you know, I'll I'll get a call on like you know, somebody be like, oh, a journalist wants some tips on cooking fish. I'm like, cooking fish. I'm like, it's easy, right? You know, like design the grill a couple of years ago, find the charcoal that's the best, have somebody make a fish basket for you, uh, stay up all night to get your fish flown in from. <laughs> you know, different part of the world, and then it's uh, ten minutes per pound, ten inches over charcoal. I'm like, oh, is that all? I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm like, and, you know, and, and and you're pretty much good. I'm like, that's your key. But you know, and then finish it with a great olive oil and, and fresh squeezed lemon, and it's just like, I mean, for me, that's it. Not, it isn't like you know, like this, like brine ten percent solution. Yeah, and it's dry. a it's super complex, intricate yeah, cooking I, process. I, I believe it's before. the best cooked on the bone, and yeah, you yeah. know, it's really delicious that way and yeah. you know i think that for us at least for us it's kind of our little story right and yeah and it works well for us in that matter you know so what are your plans for eat well 
without maybe yeah. getting no, too I, spoily, but no, I, I don't know if we have. You uh, take this thing? I don't think we have that much to share. You know, our spoilers, goals. Spoilers, please. <laughs> our, our goals are really just to be get better and, and be good to our people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really simple. And if we have have the uh, the foundation and the strength to grow with and the right people, we'll we'll do some small things that are important to us. Um, I think that's the, that's our biggest goal. So, you know, I, it was important for me that sort of passion. Well, it was it's it was great for me that sort of passion was like a smaller uh, restaurant that could be more controlled than Andros, right? It wasn't like, cool, I did that one that's to ten thousand square feet in the West Loop. Like that wasn't like the goal. It's like, how can I do something that we can double down on hospitality and quality and really kind of keep telling the story of who we are? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, anything we would do would be honest, would be intentional, would be transparent. I mentioned I want to take advantage of the space next to Andros and do something great there. Um, but that, that's it. You know, the, the other goals are like have great service tonight, you know, teach our staff how to operate restaurants and manage, you know, treat our general managers like their owners so they understand the P&L, mm-hmm. you know, get a, you know, get that, you know, I mentioned, you know, walking to Ducasse and seeing the infrastructure around him. Create that, but nice and slow is more important for me. Uh, as I see so much growth going on, it gives me more, uh, more, you know, more trepidation to growing. And so I'd rather like stay home, you know, <laughs> get stronger and take advantage of good opportunities in the future as opposed to like jumping on like things that sound great. Yeah. Like good beef. You can't rush it. No, I, not too often, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I just don't feel anything good's going to come of it. Mm. At least I maybe some, some money out there, but I think we're looking for other stuff. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, Tim. Are you ready? Is well, it that Doug time? Doug ready for the gratuity round. Oh, Hard-hitting God. questions. I'm going to bring it. All right. What's your death row meal? Oof. I have a feeling we're going to Spain or Greece. I was going to say grilled squid. You know, that's the first okay. one for me. Just grilled squid's amazing. Got to be cool. really fresh, though. All right. Great. All right. Uh, favorite hidden gem restaurant? Favorite hidden gem restaurant. Could be anywhere. Anywhere? That's even better. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Favorite hidden gem restaurant. So let me give it two thoughts here because I have a lot. Of, well, I don't know. Nothing's hidden anymore. Uh, yeah, it's it's harder. Like nobody knows of this. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, favorite gem restaurant for me, Thai diner in New York City. It's, it's Thai diner. Yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm, I'm first stop every time. Yeah, Liz was there uh, two weeks ago for the U.S. Open. Went yeah. to Thai she diner. There? Yeah, she did. It's, it's, she I love loved it. it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I was there last summer. Um, good answer. Uh, what is your favorite fast food? Favorite fast food? <laughs> you know, I'd say In and Out, but I haven't had it in like yes. a long time. I In haven't had it in a long maybe. time. It's terrible. I, I was gonna say I kind of uh, yeah. Maybe I don't have the same. Give him some time; he'll come yeah. up with the right answer. <laughs> no, there is no you know, I, I think no, there is. You know, I think a a, a crunchy, spicy taco supreme is really important. Nice, you know, fair. All right, that's, cool. that's, that's that's a little more nostalgia. That was like a high school great treat, and like. Nothing better than that, I think. Yeah. 
I'd say White Castle, but that's that's a tough. That's uh, you know when you get back to looking at it again, it's like that's a tough one. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. You're like I've gone through White Castle phases. I, I it's like I remember that's so much better. Like what yeah. you know you go there. <laughs> it's the only time Danny carried a briefcase. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Uh, let me ask: Have you had Culver's? Yeah, I, I have. I have. Up I, I, well, I'd say Culver's mentioned. is Culver's is really good. Tim just um, likes to spend time on a podcast. It's the best. It, it's just, it, I'm starting to believe that they pay for Tim's whole lifestyle. We, the only problem is Culver, Culver's is like it's like four meals. It's like here's a 12 ounce patty and milkshake and uh, yeah. fried cheese curds. Do you want butter on the burger? You're like, of course. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, because it's a special treat. And then you're like. Two days later, you're like, what did I do? Yeah. Like, I, I'm still not hungry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, how am I not hungry? That's the beauty of it. It's six meals in one. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, all right. What is your favorite Greek restaurant in the area other than your own? I would go to Greek Islands. Yeah? Yeah. That's, uh, that would be Shannon's answer as well. My What's wife. your order? Skoraya, octopus. Um, you know, I'll take the village salad and probably split a sea bass. A good order, too. Um, all right. What is your favorite olive oil or olive oil of choice? What are you using? I love to use that Ilada olive oil. It's a hundred percent a Korneki olive from, uh, Kalamata. Okay. And is that something? They can find it in a lot of places. They have a great organic one. Uh, they have a, a lot of different ones, but, uh, I love the single village ones and stuff like that. I go there and visit them and it's like magical to me. So. Right. So, and it's accessible? Yeah, very accessible, okay, very cool. affordable. Great. Uh, Iliada, I-L-I-A-D-A. Really Iliata. fantastic. I love it because it's buttery and, and, and fruity. Yeah, I, I'm not really looking for like like super peppery and artichoke. You're like, yes, it is. I can't. Mm. Like if I can't breathe when I when I taste this, is that a positive? Yeah, I don't like I know spicy for the, olive oil. I know for the polypiphenols, it's great and healthier, but yeah. you're like, I love buttery olive oil. That I, so I use it as butter, right? So I'm going to look for it. I'm always yeah. like, I go to the olive oil section. I'm like, oh, my God. Beautiful so labeling, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. like the power bars. You're like, right. all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, what's your favorite cocktail? Uh, well, I'm an equal opportunity guy. But, uh, geez, it depends on the weather, right? I, I love a Naked and Famous. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. What is a Naked and Famous, Danny? Danny uh, naked and Famous is uh, it's a I like putting equal Danny parts, on the spot. It's like an equal parts, uh, is it Mezcal? Mezcal, lime. Oh, it's lime. Aperol. Um, Aperol. Okay, sorry. And um, chartreuse. Chartreuse. Ooh, that sounds... I like all those components. That's wonderful. That but it's great. yellow chartreuse. Yeah. It's not green chartreuse. Yeah, yellow chartreuse. Yeah. Great, great for like a part... Well, for a few years ago. When yeah. it was actually now you can, when you could make it still yeah it'd be great. I was it'd be... mix, mixing in a porn star martini with it somehow because naked and famous always crosses over with porn star yeah, martini in your yeah. mind it does, <laughs> yeah, it does. That's interesting yeah. for me naked, it's like uh, porn streaker star, yeah. yeah we'll dissect that later yeah, yeah we will. college football streaker <laughs> break it down there but sure yeah. <laughs> uh, what is an unexpected trivia category that you would dominate nineteen eighties uh, sports okay nineties sports are pretty good yeah eighties. I can't go there. After that, it was like really like <laughs> I went away to work for a couple of years. I went to a work camp for a couple of years. <laughs> I blame uh, I blame Sports Center because it was so good in the '90s. That's oh, when I knew a lot about sports, and it's just not you know you don't have the Bermans and the Cowboys yeah, anymore. Well, and you'd the, wait for you know Stuart it, Scott I, news. You had to wait for the news. Mm-hmm. Now it's like sports center. Come on, yeah, like, I know four this stuff, channels though. rolling twenty four yeah, seven. You already know the score. You're like, I know mm-hmm. the score. Yeah, I'm yeah. not waiting on you. True. I miss those top tens, though. Yeah. Anyway, uh, to what do you attribute your success? The support around me, you know. I think that's it. Some hard work and support around me. Very good. And then our last question. What advice would you give a younger version of yourself? Um, I'd say 
probably chill out a little bit, dude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all look back and say that. Yeah. You know, it's like, just take it easy. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's easy to say now, but it yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, looking back, like, hey, it's going to be fine. Chill. And I'd be like, dude, why don't you tell me just to chill out? Like, I did, and you told me to... Well, yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, next time you just tackle me if you see me doing it wrong. <laughs> well, all, all right, right, sweet. That's a wrap on Doug. Thanks so much yeah, for joining awesome. us today. Thank Thanks you for having me here. Yeah. Great. And that concludes our conversation with Doug Saltis of Eat Well Hospitality. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember to check us out on Instagram at Joiners Pod for exclusive content cocktails, reels, throwback photos of our guests. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and our reels done by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.